James? Yeah? How long has that rat been in our kitchen? Also, when have we had a kitchen? Since we started doing this show, I think. And uh, I knew we had a pantry for the cereal, but you're right. How long did we have a kitchen? Uh, A better question. How long have we been ignoring this mouse? Roughly the same time frame. Why do you ask? He's bringing in fireworks. At least I hope they're fireworks. And something about a hundredth anniversary, he told me to do a podcast about one of his cousin Mickey's shows, or he's celebrating that anniversary with us up close and personal. Well, when he puts it that way... There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome to the Pemmy and James Kinda Sorta Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast and, well, Disney. It's their 100th anniversary, because they've been here forever. Do I really need to say anything else besides the name? Responsible for some of the most cherished movies and series in animation history, Disney is the gold standard that every other company is compared to. Right or wrong. And now they're trying to engulf the entire world. Sorry. <laughs> yes, it, it do seem like that sometimes. Some folks who know me have probably heard me say this a million times, but Disney should have never, ever become a growth stock. It's like the CEO saw the Transformer movie and took the line until all are one seriously. Too seriously. <laughs> big reason why it's taken us so long to get around to one of their productions is we're a couple of Warner Brothers and Hanna-Barbera kids at heart who love poking around in some of the more obscure corners of animation history. And seemingly from the looks of it, that's the ones that's the ones the fans like, too. <laughs> and how else do you explain us looking at the tomfoolery show before we've even done one Bugs Bunny short? Or why else would we look at stuff like the Mumbly Show and Drag Pack? The longer we drag this out, though, the larger the shadow that looks like a quarter with two nickels attached to it started to loom over us. So yes, Disney coverage begins in earnest here. Which, to be honest, Disney is responsible for a lot of things I like. I'm a huge fan of DuckTales and the character Uncle Scrooge in general. The thing is, it's spooky season again, so we need something tied to the mouse that was also appropriately seasonal. So, Nightmare Before Christmas? Highly tempting, but we're still ironing out how we want to approach feature films. What about that This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) How about that Lonesome Ghost short subject? Not a bad prospect, but we need to pair it with three other shorts to fit our format. And I want our first look at Disney theatrical shorts to be a little more focused than that. Then I remembered that the Disney Channel has an animated series currently in production about a ghost haunting a family and usually consisted of two 11-minute segments per episode, which is music to my ears. Which is good because this uh, show has songs in it. (laughs) (laughs) The ghost and Molly McGee is the brainchild of Bill Motts and Bob Roth, the latter of whom Google seems to confuse with another Bob Roth who was a very successful executive. And fortunately, not the uh, not the guy with the afro and the paint 
and the happy trees. Uh, that would be Bob Ross. It's close, though. Yeah. But they've been writers and creators in the animation world since penning episodes for Darkwing Duck in the 90s. Let's get dangerous. They had the rough concept for today's show since 2003, when it was initially pitched to Nickelodeon as The Curse of Molly McGee, which would have featured a vampiric curse following a family vacation to Transylvania. Ooh. Yeah. Nickelodeon didn't pick it up, and over time, the premise would gestate into its current form, which was picked up by Disney after the duo had completed work on Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures in 2017. Hey, it's not the first time Nickelodeon turned something down only for someone else to pick it up, and maybe this will be a big success like uh, the other thing they turned down. A little show, you may have heard of it, it's called Adventure Time. Math Magical. <laughs> but yeah, apparently Disney hopes so. They seem to really like this show since it was renewed for a second season before the first one even started airing. I've seen that be a lot more common these days for some reason. Yeah, and we're, and we're not talking split a 20-episode season into two 10-season episodes. We're talking two full 20-episode seasons. Yep. Now, the gist of the show is, after years of moving from town to town to town... Due to her father's job as a city planner, the aforementioned Molly McGee finally moves to her forever home in Brighton. They even came from Oklahoma at one point. Presumably, this this Brighton is next to Springfield. The many, 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 many Springfields. Yeah, because there's a lot of Brightons, too. Oh, I didn't actually know that. I happen to live right next to one. I knew there's a lot of Springfields and there's a lot of Centervilles, but I didn't know about Brighton. I do know there's two Ardmores, though, in the United States. Now, this particular Brighton is, at least at the start of a series, a dump. Yeah, but it's one of those kind of old-school, homey sort of, like, small towns. Yeah. Now, the catch on Molly's home in particular is Scratch, a grumpy old ghost who has successfully scared off every family that's tried to move in. Not to, not to be mistaken for the chicken from Sonic... The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog that goes, Bah-ha-ha! He tries his tricks on Molly, putting a curse on her so they cannot be separated. But she's not even remotely scared of him, so now he's stuck with dealing with her bright outlook and irrepressible optimism. And he might even like hanging out with her, though good try on getting him to admit that. All the while, Scratch is being watched by the Ghost Council. And if he can't keep Brighton miserable, he'll be exiled into the flow of failed phantoms. With a show like a phantom being thrown into that in the first start of the first episode. Yeah, that looks doesn't look fun. <laughs> now, the show is mildly serialized. Plots will be informed by past events and character relationships do grow and change over time. Now, to keep the spoilers to something of a minimum, we're only looking at episodes going up to the midpoint of Season 1 here. Goodness knows I didn't want to dive into the tail end of Season 2 and be like, what the heck? (laughs) For the better. Looking at our voice cast, the upbeat Molly McGee is performed by Ashley Birch, who first rose to prominence as Tiny Tina in the Borderlands games, and has numerous credits in games and animation, including Chloe Price in Life is Strange, and a pair of turns as Marvel's Nebula. 
she's really good in this role. She's so hyperactive and so just happy and positive. Opposite her is the equally irrepressible, though diametrically opposed in terms of mood, Scratch. And he's performed by veteran voice actor Dana Snyder. Known as the voice of Master Shake on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Gazpacho on Chowder, Dr. Colosso on Nickelodeon's The Thundermans, and has performed several turns as DC Comics' The Penguin. He's also Plastic Man on uh, Justice League Action. Mm Mm-hmm. Snyder is also one of the few people I've seen at fandom conventions who strikes me as needing adult supervision at all times because he gives so few Fs it's astonishing. (laughs) And his voice really does sound like that. It's all in the name of having a good time with his fans, though. We'll mention the rest of the significant performers as they appear in the episodes we'll be watching. Because there's quite a few. I will say, I, I think this is my favorite Dana Snyder role now because he's just, he's, he's too, too into it. He's, he works, it works so well for this character. Absolutely. So let's start with our first half an episode or segment or however you want to describe it. All Systems Know. Written by Sammy Crowley. Storyboards and direction by Johnny Castigliano. This one aired as part of Episode 7 alongside The Turnip Twist. That sounds like a dance. And it is. Oh. A whole plot about a turnip festival. You know what? I don't I don't think I've ever really experienced uh, turnips on a good level before. No, neither have I. I've only experienced a turnip in one way, and that was because my mom, who grew up in a poor family... Uh, said that when she was a kid, they would uh, buy turnips and eat them like apples because they were cheaper than apples and just as good. So I bought a turnip, tried to eat it like an apple. It did not taste like an apple. And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Well, apologies in advance to Sunset Slade. That did not turn up well for you, did it? Ha! Nice. So Molly peeks in on a sleeping scratch in his little ghost house, which is a, a Thai tradition, as established in the first episode. I, I do like him having the little the little dollhouse he lives in. It's actually kind of cute. It gives him his own space. And she says she's so cute when he sleeps, which is, of course, the cue to loudly wake him up. Talk about waking up the dead. <laughs> you see, it's Saturday! No school, no homework, no responsibilities, Saturday morning cartoons. Wait. (sighs) Now I made myself sad. Unless you have me TV. Or you're just choosing random things off of streaming on a Saturday morning. But anyhow, all this means Molly wants to have the most awesome best friends day Brighton has ever seen. She even has a list of activities for Scratch and her to do together, all set to a song ranging from archery to auctioneering, as the curmudgeonly ghost is thrown about the imagined sequence. And seemingly even surgery. Well, this gets an emphatic, no to all of that! Not bad. It's a pretty good job. Which has Molly protesting to his negativity, and Scratch counter-complaining about her positivity. Admittedly, as positive as Molly can be, 
It would get a little tiring living with that. God, I wish I had that energy. Now this leads to a bet. Molly can only say yes, and Scratch can only say no, all sealed up with a curse that will last until midnight to keep them both honest about it. Molly gives us a quick test by asking Scratch if he wants to do nothing all day. And just as Scratch is about to say yes, his mouth zips up, figuratively and literally. I admit this would be one hell of a curse. Meanwhile, there's a bee in the house. And Papa Peter McGee, who's voiced by Daily Show contributor Jordan Klepper, in his first animated voice role that I can tell, and he apparently looks like the character he's voicing too. I like the dad. I think he's a, a he's a fun character. But Papa's having no luck swatting it. As Scratch questions the wisdom of antagonizing it with a broom, said bee flies into Scratch's nose, and Pete asks if he can release it outside. No! <laughs> so far, I'm loving this curse. I love Molly's face when he says that too. It's just that that complete straight line mouth. <laughs> The, the expressions on this show are really good. Oh yes, yes, and there's a there's an especially good one in the other episode we look at. Of course, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But as the duo are walking down the street, as Molly dreams up what to do next, they stumble upon Irving the Illusionist doing card tricks. This guy looks vaguely familiar. Yeah, as it turns out, Irving is an intentional homage to Professor Hinkle of the classic Christmas special from Rankin Bass, Frosty the Snowman. What? I, th I was thinking it was Merlin Jr. from uh, The Reluctant Dragon. Well, yeah, same character designer, of course. <laughs> now, at first blush, I thought this would be an incidental character, but it turns out he reoccurs, and is voiced by Canadian voice actor Trevor Duvall, who I know best as Pyro in X-Men Evolution, and several minor characters in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Most recently, and by most recently I mean roughly seven years ago, he was Elroy Jetson in that property's crossover with WWE Robo WrestleMania. I still need to watch that because the plot on that sounds insane. It does. Put it on the list? Sure. Okay. So upon seeing Irving... Molly freezes in place, then walks in the opposite direction, and Scratch finds her scenic root excuse unconvincing. Molly explains, and, uh, well, just listen. Scenic Weird. Almost as if you hate close-up magic or something, which is absurd, because it is delightful. Obviously, I love real magic, wizards and unicorns and stuff, but magicians are just con artists who trick people, and I don't like being bamboozled, Scratch, and I will not be hurt again! There's gotta be a story to this. <laughs> Scratch seizes an opportunity and asks if Molly wants to see some street magic. Sure enough, try though she might, she can't utter the word no, and is subjected to Irving's really basic tricks. Boy, are they basic. Any more basic, and these tricks would be drinking pumpkin spice lattes. I think I saw more creativity from Ronald McDonald when he visited my grade school. Oof. Did your grade school ever do that? Have, like, Ronald McDonald visit it? Sadly, no. 
wow, yeah, that was something Ardmore, Oklahoma had. Like, some guy dresses Ronald McDonald would come and do tricks, like, at my grade school, like, once every year, I think. Yeah, we we mostly had local theater troops. Ah. As a means of getting away, Molly spots Patty, a senior citizen neighbor, and quickly begs for an exit. And Patty is voiced by Jennifer Lewis, best known in animation circles as the voice of Mama Odie in the feature film The Princess and the Frog, and Flo in the Pixar franchise Cars. But she has literally hundreds of credits in film and television under her belt, particularly the principal character Ruby on Blackish. Nice. Turns out Patty's made some gumbo, and her taste buds aren't so hot anymore, so she asks Molly to taste test. Now this looks like an easy yes, until we see the gumbo. Oh boy. I've seen dog food that's more appetizing. I think that gumbo has used gum in it. It probably smells, and it probably smells like B.O. Oh, yeah. So it's gum and bow. Oh. But yes, Molly will eat it. Can you taste how the freezer burn mingles with the actual burn? I bet burn's going all the way down. It takes Molly 50 miserable minutes, according to the caption card, to finish it all. And then Patty asks if she wants some more. Oh, dear. We're lucky Molly didn't get food poisoning. Yeah. Or if she did, it was probably next episode. (laughs) Back home, the bee has been joined by its hive family, and Pete's broom is not enough to solve the problem. Not that it was doing much good in the first place. At this point, Grandma Nin calls. Now, both Grandma and her daughter slash Molly's mom, Sharon, are voiced by Sumali Montano also known as Callie from the Skylanders franchise, and R.C. on Transformers Prime. Oh! Yep. I didn't... Ah, she's really good in that. She's She made a really good R.C. for Transformers Prime. Probably my favorite interpretation of that character, personally. And the phone's answered by Daryl, the, the son of the family, and voiced by Michaelia Dietz, best known as Amethyst in Steven Universe. Amethyst! Sorry. Uh, that, that's not said by Amethyst, obviously, but like every time I think of Amethyst, this one scene from one episode of Steven Universe where it's just insanely over-exaggerated, where Pearl just grabs her head and has like psychotic eyes. It's just like, Amethyst! It always pops in my head. So once Daryl informs Grandma Nin of the plan to swat them, this makes Miss Nin panic a bit. As she explains to not hurt the bees because they're good luck no matter how much harm they're doing to Peter. Not to mention, just in general, we shouldn't be hurting the bees if we can avoid it. Yeah. We should be very, very sensitive to bees. Just like Marzipan says. But, uh, they can also stay far and far away from me because I'm allergic. (laughs) Yeah. Back with our protagonists. Now Molly crosses paths with a skunk and is spotted by Weird Larry, who owns the pawn shop, and who Molly seems to want to avoid. This is another Trevor Duvall character, and he's beyond vexed that the skunk, Vera, has gotten loose. I'm also disappointed that his pawn shop accepts Bitcoin. (laughs) Larry asks Molly if he can help her, and Scratch is loving every second of this. We even get a shot of that yes just 
bulging out of Polly's throat. Oh, it's such a good visual representation. So, of course, Molly is chasing, and Scratch provides play-by-play, savoring the whole experience until the Ghost Council comes calling. I actually feel kind of sorry for Scratch in this scene. Now, at this point, the Ghost Council doesn't have names that we know of. They do get names later. But they're voiced by veteran performers. Now, from left to right in the seating order, we have Gray, Azula, Delis, John, Bender, DiMaggio, Kari, too many to pick from, Walgreen, and Greg, Aku, Baldwin. And all these ghosts are in service to the voiceless chairman. Ah, DiMaggio. I love that guy. If you've ever heard any interview with John DiMaggio, he just seems like the biggest, nicest freaking guy. Honestly, I haven't, but boy, he's versatile. So are all four of these guys, actually, and gals. An example, I think, would be like when Adventure Time ended, They sung a, there was a song sung in it, and all the voice actors sung it at Comic-Con, and John DiMaggio actually got emotional and started, like, cry, like actually lost it and started crying a bit because... The show just meant that much to him. He's he's just like a big teddy bear from what everyone seems to say. He also fought to get everybody that was voice acting on uh, the new uh, reboot, the new revival of Futurama to get a better, to all get better pay. So indeed, props to that too. Yeah. So Scratch, given he's continuously in hot water with this bunch, profusely apologizes for whatever it is he may or may not have done. But it turns out this whole curse thing is rising the misery levels in Brighton to such a degree they offer him a spot on the Elite Ghost Society. Something he's always wanted. It's even punctuated with a skeletal thumbs up from the chairman. I love his design, by the way, but I've always kind of loved, like, Grim Reaper-esque designs, so. So, they ask if he accepts. And Scratch is ecstatic until he realizes he can't say yes. And not for lack of trying. Yeah, and unfortunately the council is not happy about that. Yeah, they're not even going to make the offer a second time for the rest of eternity. Poor guy. Yeah. So Molly's still chasing Vera and corners her in an old drying machine as a very frustrated Scratch plops back to the mortal world. And they're both expressing regrets with the curse. But that's when Scratch gets an idea. Yep. They reverse the curse. Just as Larry arrives. Turns out that skunk wasn't even Vera. Don't. But Molly escapes with a big no to continuing to help as she and Scratch head home. Where Peter is covered in bees. Oh, not the bees! Not the bees! Oh, they're in my eyes! Ah! I was about to say, if you if you didn't reference that Nicolas Cage scene, I would have. Because Lord knows I've referenced it a lot in my videos. Sharon and Daryl get Nin's permission to use hair dryers to blow the bees out a window. Which starts to work until the length of the cords proves too short. And the family is chased by a bee-nado. Bees are powerful. Molly and Scratch arrive to find things have escalated quite a bit since they left, and quickly figure out how to agree to work together, despite the reversed curse restricting their language. Using double negatives. (laughs) Yeah. 
in light of this, this curse would probably be worst to Daffy Duck. <laughs> if you think he's got pronoun trouble, oh boy! You're despicable. Once the bees have been evacuated, Peter asks how they can ever thank them, but Molly races to her room begging for no more questions. <laughs> now that night, our protagonists count down until midnight, but Molly gets one last sneaky ask to get Scratch to French braid her hair before the day changes. Scratch, amused by her moxie, obliges, and observes that her hair has a lot of bee wings stuck in it. She had hmm. to keep them in, for the iridescent quality. Now, that was an improvised line between Birch and Snyder, one of many ad-libs they've added to their performances together, and this chemistry is one of the things that really seals the deal for me on this show. Also, I think it's one of the uh, definite benefits of a modern-day animation. Since we can use computer, since we're using computers for this instead of like cell animation, it's far easier to add ablibed lines or actions than it would have been like you know twenty, thirty years ago. When we return, we have a look at another one of the show's favorite uh, principal characters, Libby. We're friends, super naturally. The ghost and Molly McGee will be right back on Disney Channel. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, just when you thought the season of Frights was over, along comes a cartoon character so horrifying, so maligned, so despised, his name is only spoken in whispers. Scrappy-Doo. The single most debated character in the entire canon of Hanna-Barbera is put under the microscope by us and we will see if the criticisms are justified. Else we too will be splatted in two weeks. Before we start, can I say one thing I really do love about this show? Absolutely. I love the title cards and the fact they're using title cards. I feel like that's not that's something that not enough shows do. A lot of shows like to do the cheap method of just superimpose, if you do a title at all, superimpose the title over the actual cartoon as it's running. I personally love title cards. I think it gives an ex uh, extra bit of character to the show. Absolutely, positively. In fact, it's one of the few positives I can say for Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, and because there ain't anything else. Yeah. <laughs> we are so sorry, Chad. So, so, so sorry. <laughs> I don't look forward to the day that I might have to do a cartoon catastrophe episode on that cartoon. If you do, grab me. I'll suffer with you. <laughs> so back to our subject at hand, though. I have to say, my favorite character is Libby in this show because I can relate to her anxieties so, so strongly. I, I like her design. She's got, like, the sleepy eyes, which I always feel is a positive character design trait that you can put on a character. Yeah, I like that. I love her oversized sleeves, oversized hair, the, the little open uh, tear in her in her pants. It's it's just a, a fun, urchin-like design. Yep. It's very good. And this episode is one of the first turning points in the series, where the serialized nature starts to really rear its head. It is Scratch the Surface which was also written by Sammy Crawley and directed by Johnny Castichano, with storyboards by Steve Hurt. 
And this was the first part of episode 9, alongside the segment Friend Off, which picks up directly at the end of, of, of this one, Scratch the Surface. So our episode opens with Molly catching up with Libby after school and attempts to describe her Saturday night, but realizes, mostly due to Scratch's intervention, she can't really get far without talking about Scratch himself, who takes great pains so nobody outside Molly and her family can see him. Which, you know what, I just had a thought. If if he let other people see him, though, couldn't he, like, scare them and make them more miserable? Hmm. But on the same token, that means they'd acknowledge him and might either get used to him or try to get rid of him. Yeah. It, it's it's an interesting question, and I, and I don't know if it's addressed in any of the episodes I haven't looked at. Well, lucky for Scratch, Disney doesn't own the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Libby is performed by Laura Jill Miller, whose most prominent animated roles include the title character of Cartoon Network's The Life and Times of Juniper Lee and the English-dubbed voice of Kari in Digimon Adventure. Now back to our story. Molly has to improvise something on the spot with Scratch backseat driving, uh, to mangle a phrase. (laughs) She invents a story about her and her mom searching for a scented rainbow ribbon candle that turns into a shaggy dog story. Yeah, it goes absolutely nowhere. And Libby seems to buy it, but Molly's not comfortable with fibbing her friend. She expresses this at home by showing Scratch that she's getting stress hives. Yikes! I actually get those sometimes. Wait, stress hives are a thing? Google, Google, Google. Chains and crackers, they are! Learn something new every day. Yeah, I occasionally get those from my day job. But in the face of this, Scratch protests that the more people who know about him, the less scary he is, and the Ghost Council is already breathing down his neck as it is. Scratch explains the flow of failed phantoms is his fate, if he goofs up too hard. And this seems to be the first Molly's heard of it. Well, he probably hasn't felt the need or want to mention it. Right. I I wouldn't want to talk about that specifically either yeah molly's processing this right as libby arrives with the mother of all scented rainbow ribbon candles for molly's mom that she made herself what a talented girl yeah molly darts in before mrs mcgee can ask what brought this on and thanks libby for making the candle from scratch fortunately her mom caught on right away with that yeah Unlike a lot of cartoon adults, Molly's parents are generally very useful. A refreshing and, change. And smart, so I'll, I'll say that too. Despite the bee situation. Right. Out the door Libby goes, and up goes her suspicions. Looks like the bloodhound of truth will have to sniff it out. Cue Libby sniffing the steps and howling. Oh man, I love this cartoon! <laughs> We sure this girl isn't a werewolf? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, where's the wolf? It's werewolf. Where's the wolf? Oh, there wolf. There's wolf. There castle. <laughs> Had to reference young Frankenstein. You know, my <laughs> when that was out, my parents saw that so many times in its original theatrical run. So I got to joke that when I saw a. Uh, a limited theatrical uh, event for it. I was following the 
following my father's footsteps. <laughs> nice. I got to see uh I got to see a limited uh theatrical release of uh Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh. Which was good and bad at the same time. Let me guess. Um, it, a lot of people singing along. Or just pretty much reciting every single line. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Do that at home, folks. So Molly sings about her dilemma. And Scratch thinks she's done and starts talking about the next day. But nope, here comes the second verse. <laughs> it's a cute little send-up of the more dramatic side of Disney's musicals. But the point remains that Molly feels she can't be Libby's best friend if she's being dishonest about something so big in her life. Now, given in the first episode, it's been established that Molly lost a lot of friends due to her moving from town to town to town. So this is understandable for the kid. Scratch isn't exactly moved, and he dismissively says Libby needs a new best friend. And then Molly gets an idea. Molly gets an awful, terrible idea. Rather than not tell lies, let's tell bigger lies. And if it sounds like I'm invoking How the Grinch Stole Christmas, I am, because boy is that smile Grinch-esque. Scratch wakes up describing a funny dream, only to find the room is covered in scribbles, written ramblings, and so much more. And lots and lots of red string. Molly has been up all night conceiving and calculating the new identity of Millie, Libby's new best friend. Millie is a blue-haired Canadian exchange student staying with the McGee's while Molly is in Canada. Scratch points out the absurdity of covering a lie about him with an even bigger lie about Molly. But with the only other option being the truth, he's all too happy to go along with it so long as he stays out of the flow of failed phantoms. Hey, uh, Pemmy, I got a question for you. What's that? Can we send the American Darkstalker cartoons version of Hisenko to this flow? You want to get a progressive insurance? Oh, wait, that's a different flow. <laughs> oh, I'm never visiting God. Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I got you with that one, didn't I? Yeah, you got me. So we turn our attention to Bookmarks the Spot, which is the store that Libby's family owns. And Libby's acting like she's buying this whole Millie routine and invites her to check out the dystopian fiction section, complete with Cawing Raven. A very friendly Cawing Raven, which is, to be honest, pretty awesome. Yeah. And Millie, the stated opposite of Molly gleefully walks into it due to her being utterly pessimistic about the future. Libby's suspicions are now even more heightened as Millie Molly tries to find interest in books like creepy paintings and buttons in statue busts. To the bat poles, Robin! Not to mention uh, a book that specifically says Secret Liars. Ooh. Mm. Libby asks what part of Canada she's from, and Millie Molly escapes to the little mouse's room to get help from Scratch. She has to navigate a story with Scratch leafing through an old encyclopedia to give her details, all without Libby catching on or seeing the suddenly floating encyclopedia. It's a very well-blocked scene. It really is. So at school, 
Millie Molly is eating a cheeseburger and fries for lunch, talking about Canadian poutine. Well, that's going to make Chrissy nostalgic. No trip to Canada is complete for her without poutine. It was good stuff. I've not eaten the actual it actually from Canada, but I had a but my friend Nick who lived who used to live in Alaska actually made it for me. Okay. Now Libby realizes Millie should be homesick and brings out a massive jug of maple syrup to cheer her new friend up. Scratch exposits that Molly said she thinks maple syrup tastes like the tears of trees. Which I think is a hilarious description because it's kind of right. (laughs) Except I like maple syrup, but that's beside the point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But Millie can't have these notions. So with a burger drenched in the popular pancake topping, Millie can't wait to eat it. Which I have to say the way they did this one, they staged it really good. Yeah. With a rapid gulp, it seems she has eaten it, but it was Scratch who admits he'd have another. I don't think I, I don't know if I'd want a hamburger with maple syrup on it, but eh, I might try it. I've had a chicken sandwich with maple bacon before. That was I have really- had that. that. That is good. Yeah. Now, Libby seems not quite content with things so far and seems to want to press Millie Molly's buttons, as the next thing on the agenda is Arming the Illusionist! Here he is again. Yep. Suddenly, I'm doubly glad I picked out All Systems No for Pem and I to review, so we already know the background with this gag. (laughs) This time, it's a balls-in-the-cup bit, and Millie Molly is doing a very bad job of feigning enjoyment. Now, what I want to know is how did Irving get the cups to levitate when revealing the ball vanished? Was Scratch messing around? Normally, he's depicted as more translucent when he's supposed to be invisible, so he couldn't have been right behind Irving. Or maybe Irving actually pulled off an illusion for once. Maybe. Of course, he ruined it when the ball fell out of his sleeve. Of course. Anyhow... Libby says Millie might be a better best friend. And Molly, once back home, realizes this can't continue. Yeah, she's getting one of those stress hives. Yeah. While Scratch is workshopping Mally from Tallahassee, which comes complete with a talking cockatoo named Paul, Molly is just ready to, to yield. Man, you, you turned down the cockatiel named Paul, man. That That's a selling point. You're a loss. As they mull the situation, Molly believes she can't ever see Libby again. Cue Libby at the door being let in by Mrs. McGee! Don't! The duo plan to hide, but Libby's already at the door to the attic, and Scratch tries to pull Molly through a wall. You can guess how that goes, but Scratch clearly didn't. Ah, you can't do that yet, can you? I gotta admit, the the timing on that gag was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. By the time Libby gets up to the room, she wants to talk... But no one's there, and she notices the open window and the ectoplasm. Someone blew your nose and you want to take a sample of it. (laughs) Millie, Molly, and Scratch race through Brighton to escape from the Bloodhound of Truth through some fun sight gags. Yep. And at the park, when they think they got rid of her, of course Libby is right there laying on the bench they're sitting on, just out of view of the audience until she's needed to be seen. Libby knows what Molly is hiding. 
She has an Eastern Canadian brain slug. No, those are only in Futurama. Wait, a what? Well, there's brain slugs in Futurama. Even Molly and Scratch are surprised. Libby has assumed the ectoplasm was the slug's mucus. Molly's hives were an allergic reaction to it. And the wig is to hide the slug. Unfortunately, that was not the case. As she finds out by ripping off the wig. Yeah, there's no slug underneath to mutter about meddling kids. And Molly isn't sure such slugs exist outside of Futurama. (laughs) So Libby has to admit that she's afraid Molly doesn't want to be her friend. And, And as a dejected Libby takes her leave, Molly begs Scratch to show her the truth. Which Scratch relents. But only Libby. And he materializes in front of her with a sarcastic, Ah! It's a ghost! Libby faints. And Molly is thankful. One of those signs that proves that Scratch does care about her. Even if he doesn't want to admit it. Well, I gotta tell you, Pemmy, we're two for two on modern productions in terms of our enjoyment of them. Yeah, this show's really good. I I wish I had watched it sooner. It's also really pretty. I love how the backgrounds have this painted look to them. And I mean, literally, as as I do when we go over these, I I like kind of have the flipping through it as we like were discussing it. And every pause frame on this show just looks beautiful. It's an absolutely gorgeous show. I'm going to just say that. As an artist, I'm amazed by just how good this show looks. Mm -hmm. But... For a podcast like ours, there's a difficulty inherent in talking about shows that are ongoing. We can't really do much postscript, because the history is still being written about the ghost in Molly McGee, and the previous modern production we did in an episode, Jellystone. Yep. Which also has Dana Snyder in it. I mean, the two lead characters are popping up in seasonal, cross-promotional, interstitial bits on the Disney Channel. Like where Scratch tries to become the Haunted Mansion's 1,000th Happy Haunt, where they sing goofy songs or other shows' theme songs. Really, there's still at least a couple new episodes to come of the second season. And while Disney booked that second season as quick as they could, a third season hasn't been confirmed or deconfirmed. The recent strikes don't seem to be helping matters either. No... That's not stopping them from announcing a live-action Gargoyles TV show? So, from a creative standpoint, I hope this team gets to end the series on their terms in a way they're satisfied with. Both because it's just what art deserves, and this has been a darn good cartoon from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I'm definitely watching more of it. I'm very... I I, I like this show a lot. And like I said, this is my new favorite Dana, uh, Dana Snyder role is Scratch. He's just he's too good in this role. Now, spoiler alert, skip ahead a few, a couple minutes or so from here if you don't want a discussion of the second season to impact viewing of episodes that were new this year. But the recently introduced romantic subplot has received some criticism online, and it's an element that I didn't feel like it would have added anything to the plots and premise of the first season episodes we watched. But at the same time, a lot more changes going into that second season occur. So perhaps this was an an inevitable peril of the serialized aspects of the show? I'll find out when I get there, I can imagine. Wow. Romantic subtext? Yeah, mercifully not with Scratch. I'd hope not. (laughs) That would be... Not to mention messy. It's slime time! (laughs) But 
But yeah, there you have it. Our first Disney production. And yet again, in our inimitable fashion, we choose something completely removed from the company's usual bread and butter. And furthermore, one of the rare cases of us doing something that's modern. Yeah, rest assured, much more traditional Disney is coming in a big way in December and January. I mean, we gotta do DuckTales at some point. Woohoo! And we will, and that is coming in January. We gotta start clawing through this list, because it seems like every time we scribble off one show, another five appear in its place. It is, uh, is the unfortunate side effect of our, uh, it's our blessing, it's our curse. Yeah. For (laughs) Spider-Man? But you know what? I don't think I'd want to reverse this curse. No. I enjoy this. Yeah, so do I. And folks, we wish you a happy Halloween. Right now, it's time to restock the the trick-or-treat candy. And the breakfast cereal, because I sure hope we have some Count Chocula, because they didn't release Fruit Brute this year. Yeah. Though I still want to try some of that Carmella Creeper. Or is it Carmeletta Creeper? It's Carmella Creeper. I was right the first time. Okay. It's okay. But but still, I'm going to vote for you to draw her on your Patreon every chance I get. I'm already in the process. (laughs) I can even show you a work in WIP. Sounds good. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in, folks. We appreciate each and every listen. I love you all. Good night, everybody. See ya! To the penny and change to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.